You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Do you remember the PSA from the 80s with the egg and the frying pan and their not-so-happy intersection? Yeah. Well, curiosity is nothing like that. But then I wondered, what is it like? And to help to answer that question, I turned to one of the country's best-known brain scientists, a woman familiar to more than 18 million TED Talk fans, who also happens to be a friend of mine, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I call today's show, This Is Your Brain on Curiosity. Stick around. You've never heard anything like Dr. Jill's enthusiasm for the human brain. Jill's a terrific singer. And that, together with the egg analogy, got me thinking about bird songs and what's there to know about Arlington's birds. So I chose to be curious and headed to Long Branch Nature Center off South Carlin Springs Road, where the very aptly named park naturalist Cliff Fairweather helped me out. And how many birds are there on a typical day in the park? Well, that would be hard to do, but what I can tell you is right now, you're gonna have the highest density of birds because we've got all these migrants coming. Yeah. In general, during the warmer months, we're gonna have more birds in the park. Making sound requires energy, just like everything, all the other life activities of an animal. Uh, animals deal in the currency of energy. They want to give up as little as possible for what they get and, and to do the other things they need to do, like reproduce and grow. Now I'm hearing that alarm note of the um, wood thrush. Hear that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is an upset wood thrush. <laughs> but those birds have nothing on Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor, singing scientist, author, neuroanatomist, and brain advocate extraordinaire. Jill and I got to know one another through NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and her advocacy for the Harvard Brain Bank, before she hit rock star status with her New York Times bestselling book, My Stroke of Insight, and her runaway success, the first TED Talk to ever go viral. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I put it on our Facebook page, Choose to be Curious. It's really fascinating. Jill has an incredibly compelling personal story, and she is wont to hang out with the likes of Oprah. But today, she's with us at WERA in Arlington to talk about how curiosity works in our brains. Jill, welcome. Thank you, Lynn. It's great to be here with you. I am so excited about this. So tell us, what got you into brain science? Uh, well, I had, um, uh, I'm the baby of three children, and my the middle child, uh, who's only 18 months older than I am, eventually would be diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia. Uh, mm -hmm. which, of course, is a physical brain disorder. And in those days, though, we didn't know that. All I knew was that my brother was, was very different from me, and we could have the exact same experience, but we would walk away with very different perspectives on what had just happened. And so I became fascinated with the brain because his was so different from mine. And I believed that because genetically he was the closest thing to me that exists in the universe at a genetic level, that it had to be a physical difference. And so I wanted to cut up brains and do comparisons between people who experienced um, different kinds of, of problems, whether it was 
uh, OCD or hallucination or delusion or panic or anxiety compared to brains of people who did not have any of that. So mm-hmm. it was a, it's a personal story. And then it got more personal, right? I mean, <laughs> and then it got even more interesting. It got much more interesting. So give us the two-minute version of your stroke of insight. Well, I was actually serving on the national board of NAMI at the time, and um, uh, I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. And I woke up one day and realized that I was having a brain disorder of my own in that a blood vessel exploded in the left half Mm -hmm. of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched my mind circuit by circuit deteriorate in its ability to function. And eventually, later that afternoon, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. I essentially became an infant in a woman's body, Mm -hmm. having had this absolutely profound experience of watching my own brain deteriorate through the eyes of a scientist. And so it took eight years for me to completely recover, and uh, then I wrote... Uh, my stroke of insight, and and it was it just became um, uh, amazing. It's been an amazing gift to the world. It's been very fun to watch your trajectory over the years, and <laughs> boom, um, it was like oh, man. me out of the cannon. <laughs> it really was. I'm struck that your own ability to study your stroke in action was really an incredible example of curiosity in action. Well, it was. Um, and I don't know if that was really to my advantage that morning or or not. Um, mm. I, I think that, you know, it's, first of all, for the opportunity of a neuroanatomist, somebody who studies the circuitry in our brain, and I think medically because of that, uh, which circuits are performing, what functions, watching Uh, different circuits going offline, knowing that there's a problem inside of my head, trying to uh, self-analyze where is the problem, what might the problem be. But I'm not a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm a scientist. So I already have that natural curiosity of, of, you know, what what are the possibilities here? And I think that, that because I was curious, I was fascinated, and I was observing, and maybe if I didn't have that level of curiosity, I might have just gone and gotten help quicker. Uh, um, interesting. Not that right? it, it would have made a big difference in my case, because I, I didn't have a blood clot. I had a, a hemorrhage. Uh, but in the event of having a blood clot, time is everything in, in how quickly you get mm-hmm. help. Uh, there are meds that people can, doctors can actually give to burst that clot so that you have less long-term problems. So that's a really important takeaway for, for listeners. Uh, you yeah. know, we're not talking strictly about strokes on the show, but we're talking about strokes today in your experience that don't be doing what Jill did. Don't sit, <laughs> yeah. don't sit around for four hours thinking this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it, it really was. Through uh, the eyes of the scientist, it was a fascinating experience. Yeah. When you talk about curiosity, what do you mean? It's Do you think of it differently than the rest of us? Well, I think of it probably a little bit. I, I think about everything as circuitry inside of the brain. And, um, you know, the, the cerebral cortex, we have two, uh, one in the right hemisphere and one in the left hemisphere. Uh, they process different kinds of information in different ways. They care about different things. They think about different things. They have different values. Uh, and as a result, they have very different personalities. So 
most of us can identify who am I when I'm working hard and I'm focused and who am I when I'm on vacation and kind of being a bum. Mm. And, and those two basic characters, you know, if I'm being a bum, I'm probably pretty open, compassionate, joyful, present. Uh, that's very different than if I'm determined, I'm looking for what is right, uh, I'm more focused on the details, um, just, you know, two very different ways of being. So here you are, you probably spent most of your life doing your, your business and being more in your left brain. You you retire, you think, okay, well, you know, this is nice for a little bit, but I'm the curious type, so i got to do something and look at you now. <laughs> so, so your right brain... You're telling brain, secrets on me, Jill. <laughs> so your right brain is actually really driving you toward curiosity because you're curious, and you're curious about curiosity because, in my opinion, curiosity opens the new avenue, and we're looking for a new avenue. And the left brain is happy with the familiar. It doesn't want to change. So that circuitry uh, is, is attracted to what is familiar, what has been, um, and, and what feels safe, as opposed to the right brain, which is saying, mm-hmm. but the present moment is a beautiful experience, and there are new possibilities right here, right now, and with that comes this driving curiosity to explore. But that also sounds like between the two halves, one of them could be curious for sort of the more novel experiences, but the other might really be the part of the brain that really drills in for deep knowledge. Is that how the circuitry works? Well, you know, we the fact of the matter is we have both hemispheres, uh-huh. and they are both working constantly in every moment. Uh, in order to move our bodies, it takes both motor cortices in both hemispheres. In order to have the experience of the real world, it takes both sensory systems all the time. So both, and in order to view the world, both hemispheres are completely engaged. So both hemispheres are working. The real question is, which one is, is, is currently in control, if you will? Which one's dominant? And if my left brain's dominant, then it is going to focus on the kinds of things that it cares about. And it wants details, details, more details about those Mm -hmm. details. And it's a master of language. And in our society, that combination of being able to, to know my detail and to regurgitate my detail out into the external world, then other people look at me as though I'm an authority on the subject. I become an expert, and I naturally climb up that hierarchical ladder which society is built on. Mm-hmm. So, so the left brain is this amazing driving structure, and, but the right brain is what keeps interjecting new possibility. And in that new possibility, it's also the possibility of rest, because when the left brain hooks into certain circuitry and it just drives, 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 and it tends to worry, 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 or it's got to push harder and harder in order to get higher and higher on that hierarchy, stress circuitry gets triggered as well. Mm. Shifting into the right allows all of that circuitry to completely relax, go back to a default of, of, of kind of, of a more relaxed state, and then... It, it infuses that left brain with better possibility. Interesting. So I've read that curiosity activates parts of the brain that we experience as reward. Tell me more about that. Is that right, left, both of them? Well, it's both of them, and it's a deeper system. So when mm-hmm. you think about the reward system, the brain functions uh, with languages of its own, which are um, uh, structurally the neurotransmitter systems. 
So the dopamine system, the reward system, involves certain groups of cells in certain parts of the brain, and it becomes a predictable pattern. And so things that come in and stimulate uh, reward are actually stimulating that system. Um, our, our experience of feeling um, comfortable and soothed is more of our serotonergic system. Um, our GABA system is going to be um, a, a much more mellow and allow us to really relax. And it's the major inhibitor in the mm-hmm. brain. Um, so each of the neurotransmitter language systems are there, and then we, we jump on them with ideas or with food or whatever, or drugs, or however we, we stimulate those systems, and then the brain experiences those groups of cells. So talk a little bit about building neural pathways. Is there such a thing as a curiosity neural pathway? Well, I think that the curiosity re- is, is, I think there are, are probably many, because mm-hmm. curiosity, as you mentioned, is is in both hemispheres, and it results in a different product depending on which circuit is being stimulated with that curiosity. Hmm. So so I think that as you think about, which is one of the reasons why I, I like talking about curiosity as well, because curiosity, curiosity is that impetus to say, I'm willing to look at new information in a new different, in a new way as opposed to the same old, same old structure of what I define as right and wrong and good and bad. Uh, and, uh-huh. but, but it has to come, in my opinion, it's the circuitry stems from the right brain, and then it infuses throughout our, enti- uh, our entire being. But when you consider how vast our entire being is, our entire being in, includes the part of me when I'm laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep mm-hmm. or uh, while I'm feeding my dog. You know, what am I doing? What part of my mind is being stimulated it, versus when I'm at work and I'm driving for, toward detail or I'm working a math problem? Uh, I mean, where does a math problem actually get worked? Because I can do so much and then I get stumped and then I get away from it and somehow or another I find an answer. Well, where did I find that from? And then I go back into that circuitry and plug that in, but then I'm stumped again, and so I have to get away from it again in order to get my new my new possibilities. Uh-huh. But so so it is this all infused. I mean, you picked a big subject <laughs> for for your, well, your program. Plan. You know, <laughs> I don't think your audience is ever going to get bored because everybody's <laughs> going to have something to say about curiosity. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. So it's obviously something that. Um, it can be strengthened and it's very dynamic, right? It seems like it's just pulling all sorts of levers and switches it is. kind of all of the time. Do you see evidence in brain imaging for any I mean if we if this is something we can build, do we increase it with age? Can you see evidence of that? I think that that um it's it's really hard to make gross generalizations when it comes to aging. Mm-hmm. Um because you know there there's there are those brains that want to become curious. They are comfortable in curiosity, and there are other aging brains that are comfortable in familiarity. Mm. But you're going to end up with very different personalities. I mean, if you have someone who is curious, to me, the sign of a really good scientist. This is one of the one of my arguments about science. Is um, you know, science by definition, you have to have the scientific method. 
Well, by the scientific method means it's going to be left brain. It's going to have a structure. You're going to have to think about it linearly. You're going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G then. And it's got to be reproducible. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely left brain. At the same time, there's this whole right brain possibility experience that becomes unexplainable. So a, a really quality scientist has to not just be left brain where they can do the linear work, but they have to be able to infuse that with certain levels of insight and curiosity in order to actually get out of the box of what is known and mm -hmm. into the possibility of what might we learn based on what we do know or don't know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so curiosity is, is a, a key characteristic of being human that is vital to our health and well-being, in my opinion, because it keeps us looking in the present for something that is unknown with an open heart and an open mind. Yeah. So what happens to curiosity when illness interferes? Well, it depends, of course, on, on the illness. I think that some people become actually more curious because if, if I become ill and I know I'm going to die, then I may have fear of the unknown or I may be curious about the unknown. And when people do become ill, different people around us start to behave differently. Mm -hmm. And I can yeah, either be curious about that or I can approach that with fear. And what about illnesses like schizophrenia or Alzheimer's? Is curiosity collateral damage in those cases? or what Well, happens? I think in that, you know, they're very different. Every, every neurological disorder is going to look at it very differently. Certainly in the, the circuitry of my brother who experiences severe chronic schizophrenia where he has a delusional system that is as big and vast and clear as my world and my perception of my mm -hmm. world is. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to Alzheimer, Alzheimer is essentially um, a disconnect between the circuits because there's a buildup of barriers inside of the brain so that cells can't communicate with one another. And with that, I'm going to guess, comes a less level, a lower level of curiosity mm -hmm. because the circuits are, are smaller and, and um, less is known in that brain. But, of course, information is not coming out of the per to these people generally, so we don't really know what's going on. So is curiosity a choice? I, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that... That, uh, and I think you're right that there is curiosity circuitry because as soon as we say, I am willing to step and look, view this from a different perspective, uh, or I'm willing to step away and open my eyes to the present possibilities that can be infused, or I am willing to look at this person's perspective as having possible relevance, as soon as I do that, I gather new information. You, uh, you know, the way I look at us as human beings is that we are our energy uh, processing machines. And mm -hmm. outside of us is energy being broken down into sound or smell or, or all, any of our senses. We are perceiving certain amounts. It's all being filtered in. But we do have the choice of looking at the external world or different possibilities or other people's opinions or other people's ways of being 
through a different filter other than the rigid structure that my brain has already created because of my lifetime of processing information with my filter. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if I'm willing to step outside of my own little box and say, but what are the possibilities here or what information can I perceive now if I go looking for it that I'm not used to going looking for? And that's the beauty of other people and friends like you because you're going to look at the world differently than I do and then we go on a walk and you're seeing a completely different experience than I am Uh and I'm having a completely different experience than you are and we share that and with that possibility comes new information that we can then apply curiosity with. But you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to do that. So that's a great segue. Um, And would you be willing to make an analogy to curiosity? You know, I have this jar of wannabe analogies. I have pulled out three slips. Your slip is um, popsicle. My slip says bats. And we had a listener request that listeners get an analogy as well, and theirs is a breeze. Take a moment, Jill, and think about what analogy you can make to curiosity from Popsicle, and I will think about that. You go first. Okay. (laughs) I want to hear one first. (laughs) Well, this is like taking a walk, right? I'm going to see one thing. You're going to see something else. All right. All right. Um, Curiosity is like bats. Um, because it often flies around in the dark, doesn't mind the dark, um, and responds to things that other people might not necessarily see, um, but contributes importantly to our environment. Wow, this is a profound program. (laughs) Okay, is it my turn? It is your turn. Okay, okay, so um, curiosity is like a popsicle in that you have you may initially have the perspective that it's a solid, um, and yet somehow miraculously, if you take the time to explore it long enough in a warmer temperature, it actually shifts Uh. its entire state (laughs) into being a liquid. I love it. I love it. So it's that time that it takes to really explore and give it an opportunity to be perceived in a different way. Oh, fabulous. That's great. I'm very curious to see what our listeners come up with for Breeze. You can send it by a Facebook or Twitter, hashtag analogy, and I'm curious to see I'm curious to see what comes. So that'll be fun. It will be fun. So Jill, any parting advice for those of us with brains? Well, I think that um, you know, I've I've just started um uh re exploring the Nancy Drew book series. Did you read those when you were young? You know, I never did, but oh, I guess wonderful. I should, huh? They're wonderful. And I'm looking at it from a, a variety. I found, you know, I'm cleaning out my mother's house and I, I found a couple of these books and I thought, yeah, I'm going to read one. And so I'm looking at it from a, a culture, an entire culture that has been stimulating little girls for over 50 years. Mm. And it's all about the clue. Uh-huh. And from that clue, we do something with it. We either drop the clue and forget about it and move on to something else, or we explore the clue. And it is that willingness to be curious about how does this clue relate to the next piece of learning. And I think that curiosity, a life without curiosity is going to be a, a life of only familiar. And in mm. familiar, there's just not that impetus, that, that stimulant that says, I, I, I got I got to, I got to, I got to. 
you know, and I think living life as I got to, I mean, look at you, you got to, you got to study, you got to do what you're doing now, you know, and it, it, it keeps life interesting. It helps add, add meaning. Uh, and it's a marvelous part of who we are. Oh, Jill, I could not have said that better. Thank you so much for joining us for today and just being who you are out there in the universe. It's really <laughs> wonderful. Well, I'm I'm grateful that uh, uh, you you let me on and that we got to talk about curiosity. And I I trust down the road we'll get to do it again. Thanks, Lynn. You're listening to WERA LP ninety six point seven FM and streaming at WERA.FM. Do you know something about curiosity? Are you wondering about curiosity? Send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and choose to be curious and join the conversation. Special thanks this week to our guests, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, Cliff Fairweather, Antonio Villaronga, and Arlington's bird population, migratory and otherwise. Don't forget to send us your analogy at hashtag analogy. And be sure to come back for our next show in two weeks, June 15th, when I'll be talking about curiosity and spirituality with Buddhist Sangha leader Junson Nettles and the Reverend Carolyn Risher. Until then, I'll leave you with this from Jill. And of course, choose to be curious.